We'll wait a few seconds. And then I'll push the button. Welcome to the Rebel Alliance Prison Room Podcast. We are here to podcast about anything and everything Star Wars with you. Please visit our website where you can play current and past episodes. That's HTTPS colon backslash backslash R-A-B-R KyleJohansson.us That's R-A-B-R dot K-A-I-L-E-J-O-A-N-S-E-N dot U-S Trooper Trooper side is a navigation menu. You can use this to learn how to load the Rebel Alliance Bridge podcast on your Android or Apple phone and tablet. And we have direct links to our podcast on Apple and Google Podcasts. Please participate by connecting to our social media, answering questions of the week, or submitting feedback directly from the site. Again, all of these are available at the Rebel Alliance Bridge Room website at R A B O K A I L E J O H A N S E N dot U S. I am Kyle John Johansson, and this is Andrew Scott Sutton. Say hello. And Rick's over there. Hello. Hello. Yeah. So I don't know, Rick, if you caught a couple weeks ago where Scott just realized that I was singing super duper into the front and that front part there. Oh, yeah. I don't remember what I told you guys, but um, the Lego movie. Sorry, I'm a little slow. The, the theme song of the Lego movie is everything is super. super. Everything is, is great. Everything is fine. Everything is awesome. That's the song that I played there at the front. And I said okay. super duper instead of super. Hey, I'll be back in a second. I was getting paged. Uh-oh. He's in trouble. Yep. See ya. Yep, we'll see ya. We'll just talk about the news then, Scott. What we got for news, huh? Tell the woman that this is your time. This is man time. Right. Yeah. She was gone for a week or so, so he's gotta he's gotta jump. Oh, he's gotta kiss up. She went on vacation. All right, so today let me push the wow. Yep, without him on on purpose. That's cold. It's time for the news. Um, well, they did girl stuff, so it was it was not. We weren't even invited up for drinkathon. Exactly. Uh, so today in the news, we're going to talk about um, the different houses of Mandalore. You know, we always keep hearing about uh, you know Bo-Katan's uh, house of Krizil, uh, uh, and you know we've got this uh, Paz Vizsla guy that's got is a house of whatever. Um, so we're going to talk about that today in the news. Let me uh, actually switch this over to my screen so you can follow along. How about that? Let's see this screen. Share sound. Here we go. There you go. You can see it. So, uh, you know, Mandalorian's culture, a house is when there's more than one clan that work together or have shared a set of beliefs. Uh, currently, houses like House of Krizel, House of Bizla, House of Cast, um, have been uh, seen in you know the Star Wars different uh, shows and stuff. 
House Krizel is a noble family that has played a significant role in events leading up to the Clone Wars. Um, the most prominent member was Satine Krizel, which was the love interest of Obi-Wan Kenobi for a while. Um, she was the ruler of Mandalore uh, during the Clone Wars. Ooh, look, there's her picture right there. She's got some weird uh, hair stuff going on. Satine was was a pacifist and opposed to violence and wanted to keep Mandalore neutral during the conflict um, of the Republic and the uh, Confederate independent systems, which ended up being the Clone Wars. Um, her views were not universally accepted, and she faced opposition from a group called Death Watch, who believes the Mandalorian warrior traditions and wanted to overthrow Satine's government. Um, and then we've got a picture here, of course, of uh, Bo-Katan, blah, blah, blah. Sexy actress. Okay, let's move on. Uh, it was... Uh, I missed something. Uh, house of Krizel was the house of Bo-Katan. Um, Clan Krizel in this house also included uh, Clan Rand and Clan Eldar. They joined the resistance uh, under Bo-Katan's leadership. Mm -hmm. They would go on to lead Mandalore until the Night of a Thousand Tears, which is, you know, the bombing and the stuff that we talked about in this mm -hmm. episode. Clan Rin, leader of that clan was Ursa Rin, which is the mother of, uh, you know, your, your hot little chick there that we're seeing with the purple hair. Um, and Sabine is her name. Uh, she's the one that had the dark saber uh, for a while um, in Rebels. Um, she convinced her family to stand against the Empire um, and back Clan Saxon. After defeating Gar Saxon, uh, it triggered another civil war within the Mandalorians. Rin joined Bo-Katan and other clans to struggle to drive out Clan Saxon. Uh, Sabine became the leader of the clan Wren and worked to rebuild and unite the Mandalorian people. And she became the leader because, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, you know, red, red guy killed her, her mom and took over, um, leadership of Mandalore for a while. Um, yeah. What's his name? Uh, Darth Maul. Yeah, Darth Maul. Um, Darth Maul killed uh, what's her? No, uh, Ursa, Ursa's Ursa, which was Sabine's mother. I know it's confusing already. Um, I was just waiting for Clan McGregor to show up and take care of it all. But. Yeah. Clan Rook, wow. which is was active wild. during the reign of the Galactic Empire, was initially a vassal house of caste until the Battle of Yavin, when the uh, Death Star thing. Uh, the groups listed eventually joined the Mandalorian resistance against the Empire. Their armor was colored purple, yellow, and silver, and they share the same um, signet of House of Cast. All right, so now we're going to talk about this House of Vizsla, which is uh, the uh, father of our main character, one of the main characters in our show today. Um, Ragnar got captured by that whatever. 
Dragon Eagle, Paragalactic. Well, I don't know what those things are. The uh, winged thing. Um, okay. Yeah. The most prominent member of House of Vizsla is Pre Vizsla, who is the leader of the Mandalorian faction known as the Death Watch during the Clone Wars. Pre Vizsla was a skilled warrior who believed the Mandalorian tr traditions of honor and combat, and he sought to restore Mandalore to the former glory. Under his leadership, Death Watch allied amongst the Separatists and sought to overthrow the pacifist government of Satine Krizil, uh, who was opposed to the use of violence. So this is the guy that, um, you know, was also involved in taking out Satine Krizil, uh, like we mentioned before. Death Watch's alliance with the Separatists was short-lived, uh, and they declared themselves the sole ruler. Uh, Previsible was later killed by Darth Maul, who took control of Death Watch and used their resources to gain power in his criminal war world. Uh, Bo-Katan was once a member of Death Watch and later turned against them and fought alongside the Jedi in the Rebellion. House of Vizsla is the most notable member of House of Vizsla is Tar Vizsla, who created the Dark Saber long, long ago. Um, and Tar Vizsla was the only Mandalorian that was also a Jedi. That's why he's got the Dark, the dark Saber. So when he created his, uh, his uh, you know, lightsaber, it was the dark saber instead of uh, what everybody else kind of did. Um, blah, blah, blah. Who? That's 14. All of them just take just all of them take one. Yeah. You have to you have to keep replacing it every once in a while, but it takes one. Uh, more, more, more. Um, Clan Saxton, uh, which is down here, they're all red here. They uh, seem to be one, the clan that everybody's after. During the events in Rebels, Gar Saxton was the ambitious warrior who aligned himself with the Galactic Empire. Uh, he was also a member of the Imperial Super Commandos, um, unit of the Mandalorian soldiers who have served the Empire, blah, blah, blah. Our son, Rebels. Um, his brother, Tiber, became a new leader of Clan Saxton. Tiber continued to work with the Empire. However, he was eventually killed in the Battle of Mandalore. Um, <coughs> House Cast only appeared in Rebels, uh, mentioning Rook Cast and Versala Cast. Uh, blah blah blah, floating around. Rick Cast is was one of the former Mandalorian super commandos that they that was involved in the other clan. Rook was also a member of Death Watch and an avid follower of Darth Maul. Uh, participated in the siege of Mandalore again at the end of the Clone Wars. Their helmets included metal spikes of remnants of Maul's spike. Kind of like what we see here on uh, the, the 
um, armor. She's got spikes like Maul does, which is a interesting <laughs> thing that someone brought up earlier too. And then of course we have another clan, Clan Fett, which we all know, Boba Fett and Jango Fett. Um, uh, Jango was hired by Count Dooku. Um, and of course we know his head was cut off at the first battle of the Clone Wars at uh, Genosis. Uh, Boba Fett became a bounty hunter just as his father and inherited the Mandalorian armor. Uh, after his father was killed, Boba was successful, eventually uh, took over Jabba's palace on Tatooine, which we've seen. Um, there was also one called uh, Clan Awud, which I have no idea what it's anybody here, led by a chieftain Nam Burrell. I no idea. Um, but the uh, last one is called Clan Mudhorn, which we know from the Mandalorian. It's uh, the one that Grogu and uh, Mando uh, are a part of. And here's a picture of our Mudhorn that Grogu suspended in the air. They're founding members. Exactly. Founding um, members. That's that's pretty much it. I just wanted to kind of go over those uh, different clans and stuff because we keep talking about them in the show. And maybe you picked up a tiny bit there that you can use later on in the future. I know I went through it fast and I know uh, you know it didn't make a lot of sense. So I'm going to switch back out. No more sharing video. There we go. And that's all the news I've got. The news. Spoiler. If you haven't watched feedback. Oh, we want feedback, but that's not what the button I went to push. Uh, so if you haven't watched Mando Chapter 20, uh, The Foundling, Please go watch it, because we're going to spoil you. Um, starting out with the director was Carl Weathers, which he uh, released the name of the episode early, so people you know, were spoiled, like I told you guys, that it was released early. Um, and actually, Dave Filoni and John Favreau wrote this episode. It was edited by Rachel Godlet Katz, and the score was done by Joseph Shirley. So we had our regular cast. We had um, Dingerin and his body doubles, uh, Pedro Pascal. We had Brent Wayne, Latif Crowder. Bo-Katan was Katie Sackhoff. Uh, Ragnar was Wesley Kimmel. Uh, the Mandalorian judge that was judging the, the little uh, fights and stuff that the kids were participating in was just Jason Chu. Um, all the clone troopers that we saw were actually um, played by Timura Morrison, who is the same guy that played Boba Fett. Um, Senate guard Capula was played by Juan Javier Cardenas, which that's the guy that told uh, um, our new person um, for this episode to uh, take the, sh the ship, the sh silver shiny ship. Um, what was his name? 
crud. It's the wrong page. Um, he was uh, he was the new Jedi we saw. Kaloran Bake was played by Ahmed Ahmed Best. Oh. Um, I said man, I said Ragnar clone troopers uh, and the Senate Guard. Yeah, he, the Senate Guard was the one that told uh, Kaloran Bake to take um, Rogu. Uh, and put him on the ship. I was so, really surprised at that because I thought that was going to be a different Jedi. I did too. Um, and you know, not to sound racist or anything, but when I first saw him, I was like, "What is uh, what is uh, what's his name doing there?" Window Mace. Yeah, that's exactly. Like, wait a minute. And then I was like, "Oh, that's not him." Well, I just figured it was him because it was he was younger, like yeah, you know, and maybe that was the whole intent and purpose of making it appear to be that, so that you'd be like, oh, okay, that wasn't him. But that was yeah. The first um, if you remember during that same time period when the uh, Jedi Temple is being attacked, is when Mace Window fell out the window because he was trying to kill the Emperor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and we never knew if he actually died, because as we've seen, you know, um, uh, Anakin can jump from uh, speeder to speeder and still be okay, right? Yep. So maybe maybe Mace Window did that and got away. We don't know. I don't know. Anyway. That's what I, that was my first thought. So I was surprised. Anyway, so that's that. And we uh, need to take a little... Uh, Taco Tuesday break. We are proud to welcome our latest sponsor, Juan's Cantina, where every first week of the month, stands like a calendar we celebrate with the ancients called Cinco de Mayo. Come join us at Juan's for the food, mariachi music, and 34 flavors of margaritas. That's Juan's Cantina right next to the Hangar 94 of Mos Eisley Spaceport. On what am I supposed to do with that? Is Taco Tuesday. All tacos are half a credit each and enjoyed with our house margaritas. Juan's Cantina also serves the Galactic Flamus Dos Camarones Azul Cerveza, imported directly from Kessel. Thank you again for our latest sponsor, Juan's Cantina. Thank you, Juan's Cantina. Now I'm hungry for Mexican. I swear that's my wife's favorite food. Every time we go out, she's like, oh, do we want to go for Mexican? Like, ah, uh, we had Mexican last time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gonna have Mexican this time. Yes. <laughs> that was last time, not this time. Exactly. That's what she says. All right. So, this is The Mandalorian Season 3, Chapter 20, The Foundling. Again, aired on March 22nd. And this time was only 30 minutes. You know, last time was a pretty long episode, 59 minutes. Mm-hmm. This one's only 30. Uh, so that means it's time to grab your favorite beverage, pull up a chair, and join us in the Rebel Alliance briefing room. What? It was an action-packed, fun-filled 30 minutes. It was. It was pretty uh, exciting. It was sure packed in there. You know how normally they break shows up into different uh, acts or whatever they call them? This particular episode only has two acts. Two different things happened, basically. So, 
It was um, and they all it was nonstop, pretty much. Yeah, pretty close. So we start out at the tribe tribe's covert. Many tribe members are training in combat, including hand to hand blaster training. Pew pew pew. Judges are refereeing fights, declaring when each is over and indicating the winner. Away from this, on the beach, Grogu is sitting surrounded by what looks like stones. He watches curiously as several of them move. Uh-oh. Is he moving them, or are they moving? Um, he picks up one and discovers that it's not a stone at all. It's a stone crab. It's kind of like a shelf, you know, one of those uh, hermit crabs, but it, they, they inhabit stones. <laughs> you better. But, you know, knowing Grogu, he's probably thinking about sticking it in his mouth. <laughs> as, he as he gazes curiously, uh, Dinjarin arrives and picks him up and says, hey, playtime's over. All right? Playtime's over. Grow up. And he must learn how to uh, interact with the other foundlings. He brings Grogu to the training area and says that Grogu is next is the next challenger. Uh-oh, next challenger. He's only he's just a baby. Come on. Bo-Katan walks over and asks Dinjarin whether Grogu is engaging in combat um, and, and if that's a good idea or not. And and Dinjarin says that if he is ever going to become an apprentice, he has to learn these things. This is the way. Exactly. The judge, however, agrees with Bo-Katan and says that Grogu is too small to fight. Dinjarin overrules, saying that he is his ward. I'm his ward, and it's okay, all right? All right. All right. After a pause, the judge asks Dinjarin what weapon the fight should be with, and Dinjarin gives the choice to Ragnar. Grogu's a point, uh, opponent who chooses darts. One of the adults fetches the darts. Ragnar asks why Grogu doesn't wear a helmet, to which Dinjarin replies that Grogu is too young to speak the Mandalorian creed. He doesn't know how to talk yet. Huh. Uh, <laughs> thus, that makes him too young to wear the helmet. Uh, Ragnar says that if he is too young to wear the helmet, he is too young to fight. Dinjarin quotes the creed, saying, one does not speak unless one knows. Hmm. I think he's telling him that you don't know what you're talking about, right? You be shit to hell up, Exactly. To which Ragnar declares that he does know, and Dinjarin says that perhaps the lesson is for you then. Uh -huh. Each child is given a dart launcher with three training darts loaded into it, each which do nothing more than leave a splooge of paint where it hits. Oh, like not. Come on. Rather than injuring them. Uh, as Bo-Katan buckles the one onto Grogu, she reassures him, saying that her father was the same way and that Dindrin is just proud of him. She pats him on the shoulder and instructs Grogu to go easy on Ragnar. The judge sets, sets out the rules uh, that each have three darts, which they may fire in any order. Uh, a direct hit from which the, which leaves a mark 
a visible mark scores one point. There is one round and the highest score wins. Only one round and the highest score wins. Dinjarin crouches down and tells Grogu that he should squeeze his fist to fire the dart, which Bo-Katan says he doesn't know how to fire darts yet. Incredibly, Dinjarin is unbothered, confident, and confidently tells Bo-Katan to trust him. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. The first two darts hit Grogu on his chest, whereas Grogu fires none. Grogu looks back at Dinjarin and says, uh, nothing because he can't talk. Uh, Dinjarin gives him a pep talk, and he says that he's seen Grogu as being capable, and he's seen Mm -hmm. what he's done before, and and should show everyone everyone what he can do. This time, when the judge tells them to begin, Grogu uses the force. He jumps and flips all over the place, avoiding Ragnar, and jumps over his head and fires three darts at once. Pew, 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 pew. All three hitting Ragnar in the chest. The judge declares Rag- or Grogu the winner. Ragnar walks away and is snatched up by a giant reptilian creature. Uh, Dinjarin aims his blaster at the creature, but Paz Vizsla stops him and says, Hey, wait, you might hit the child. Instead, they should follow him to his lair. And uh, they all launch their jetpacks and, I don't know, five or six of them start following that uh, creature back to its lair. And then we see uh, what? Uh, they start to run out of fuel once they get to the rocky, barren landscape. Um, I think it's Paz Vizsla actually says, I'm running out of fuel. What are we going to do? Um, as Vizsla watches the reptilian tr- creature retreat in the distance, suddenly they see uh, Bo-Katan's ship appear and continues to pursue uh, with ease, of course, right? Later, they reunite with Bo-Katan back at the beach, who shows everyone the location of the lair on a, on a holographic map. Vizsla points out that they that if they use jetpacks, the beast will hear them and kill the child. So Bo-Katan suggests scaling the mountain on foot, which everyone agrees to. Uh-huh, yep, uh-huh, let's do it. Dingerin, Bo-Katan, and Vizsla, and the Strickhawk training team. Huh, don't know what those people are, but they're a training team. Set off on Bo-Katan's ship as Grogu watches from the beach. They leave the poor guy behind. Aww. The armor leads Grogu into her forge where she heats up a ladle in the cryo furnace and she shapes, shapes some metal into circles, cooling it before placing it in a large forge press. She says that the forge can reveal weakness and presses the controls to make the press slam repeatedly against the plate. As Grogu looks on with a distressed expression, he experiences a flashback to the siege of the Jedi Temple. A younger Grogu is in the Imperial Palace on the planet Coruscant watching from his hover pram as clone troopers from the 501st Legion, which were uh, directed by uh, Anakin before he 
after he became Darth Vader, I guess, uh, attacked the Jedi trying to defend him. Uh, as the Jedi are killed one by one, a Jedi shouts that someone needs to get Grogu to Kaloran Rek, or Beck, one of the surviving Jedi, uh, one of the surviving Jedi gets Grogu to the elevator, but is shot just before the door closes. The elevator travels upwards and opens to reveal Kaloran, who tells Grogu he'll be all right, even, uh, even as troopers arrive and begin shooting at them. Kaloran deflects the blaster bolts. He's got two lightsabers, if you noticed. He's doing choom, choom, choom. So he's uh, well-versed in the lightsaber uh, battle stuff. Um, he was uh, he was pretty impressive, too. He did not get shot once. He fought off every single blast. Even the troopers arrive and begin shooting at them. Uh, Kaloran deflects the bolts, backing them off, felling, falling more. Uh, troops arrive, and he and Grugu take off in a speeder. They are eventually pursued by a Republic gunship uh, throughout the city of Coruscant. And one of the gunships manages to hit the engine of the speeder, which loses altitude but continues to fly. Kaloran leads them through a train tunnel uh, and past U-Mate, where they land on a hard platform next to the sh a ship and some Royal Naboo security force members. One of the guard guards asks about the survi other survivors, to which Kaloran replies, there are none. I'm the only one. We're the only ones. Really? The guard tells him to take the ship as a ship of clone troopers arrive. The ship takes off as Naboo guards start fire a firefight with the clones, and the flashback ends as Kelleran enters hyperspace. So we filled a huge gap there where we don't know what happened to Grogu. Now we do. This uh, Kelleran guy saves Grogu and they go somewhere into hyperspace, which we don't know yet. Maybe we'll see that flashback next week. Huh? We see the armor continue to shape the circle of metal, eventually moving it to the hammer and inlaying a complex circuitry on the underside. She tells Grogu that it is customary for everyone to donate a small amount towards the care of the tribe's foundlings. And it is with this, that she has forged the next piece of armor, a round roundel with the Mudhorn signet, or the client of Mudhorn on the front. She affixes it to his chainmail, and it is uh, very large on him, and it covers his entire chest. The mailman? Must be the mailman's mailman. a little late. Must be a little late. We get mail on Meanwhile, Saturday. what? Yeah. It's, it's Saturday, though. Meanwhile, Bo-Katan lands in the cannon, and the expedition team disembarks. Bo-Katan tells them they will walk from here as any closer the beast will hear them. There. Unmute him. See if he can figure out how to unmute himself. Look at that dog's tacking the window, too. Uh, okay. Bo-Katan tells them they have to walk from here. Any closer, the beast will hear them. They take a long trek to the rock formation 
whose peak is where the nest is, and make camp for the night. Okatan asked Dinjarin, Hey, how do we eat with all these people around? Um, and she's because you know they can't take their tail helmet off in front of everybody. To which uh, Dinjarin explains that they have to go find a place to isolate themselves enough where they can take it off while they eat. Bizzle informs Bo-Katan that as the leader of the war party, she has the privilege and the honor of staying with the fire to eat. The next morning at first light, they scale the rock face as silently as possible using grappling hooks. It looked like a couple of them were, were struggling too. Uh, they reach the nest discovering it is empty. Uh-oh. Large oh. raptor is gone. Dingerin heat vision shows a cluster of war warmth hidden in the brush that makes up the nest. Vizsla immediately climbs into the nest and Bo-Katan says, hey, what are you doing? You have to wait. Time out, you have to wait until we've cleared it all. Vizsla explains, I don't care. He's my son. Ragnar's my son. He starts calling out for Ragnar. And Vizsla accidentally awakes the raptor chicks who are who begin to attack him. Even these baby chicks are larger than than Vizsla. Uh, the raptor adult arrives and regurgitates, which I thought this was so funny. Regurgitates uh, Ragnar and begins to uh, try to feed him to the chicks. That is great. He calls out. He calls out for help. He says, "Help me! Help me! They're going to eat me! Help me!" I thought it was funny that he's like, and then he comes out. I was like, I was like, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Bo-Katan. Yeah. Bo-Katan uses her jetpack to go after them, but is buffed away by the Raptor's wings and her jetpack temporarily malfunctions. She loses uh, a Palderon, which is one of those canisters where they got the fuel in it. Um, just before she hits the water, she recovers and she and Dinjarin are able to catch, able to fire cables at the Rapture's body. Uh, Bo-Katan uh, uses her cable to, uh, get at the Rapture's head and start poking the eyes out. Arr, arr, arr. Uh, Rapture's head, uh, stabbing, stabbing repeatedly at the eye. The creature roars in pain, but drops Vizsla who lands on one of the cliffs. The Mandalorians manage to get their lariats around the creature, and Dinjarin is able to get his lariat around one of its wings, sending the creature off balance. He rescues Ragnar from the claws, and the raptor plunges into the lake. As it struggles to take, take off again, a dinosaur turtle rises from beneath and snaps, up, snaps it up in its jaws, pulling it back down in the water, which I was wow. surprised at, too. I was like, whoa! That was totally Jurassic Park. Plot twist, right? Uh, Dingerin and Ragnar land next to Vizsla, where Vizsla urgently asks Ra Ragnar if he's alright and hugs him. I love you, son. Ragnar assures him that he is okay, and Vizsla thanks Dingerin, to which Dingerin replies, this is the way. Uh, Vizsla echoes the same with the same thing. This is the way. 
Uh, Bo-Katan's ship transports them back to the covert where Vizsla and Ragnar in, in energized and, and get uh, lots of cheers and clapping for uh, being saved. Uh, you know, Ragnar being saved. The armor approaches Bo-Katan and tells her she has done the highest honor of the creed by saving a foundling. Bo-Katan replies with, this is the way. And the armor repeats the response. Bo-Katan tells her that they have brought back three other foundlings that need care and training. And they pull out these big raptor chicks that are being led by Mandalorians with hunks of meat on their on a stick. Yeah. I thought that the, you know, they were impressed that she brought them, but I'm 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 sure they're all thinking like Man, that would be some good cooking, wouldn't it? Good barbecue right there. Fried chicken. <laughs> the armorer noticed that Bo-Katan is missing a, a powderin, which is, that's the shoulder, one of the shoulder pieces, and takes her to the forge so she can replace it. As she forges the metal, she asks whether she should put a night, night owl on, on it, and Bo-Katan hesitates. Looking at the metal crafted into the shape of a Mythostar skull on the wall, she asks if it would be acceptable to wear uh, the Mythostar on the Palderon with the Night Owl on the other one, uh, which the armor declares is acceptable. It's always acceptable for anyone to uh, wear the Mythostar, she says. It belongs to all Mandalorians. Watching the armor continue to create the new Paldron Krizil asked hesitantly what the armor would say if she saw a Mythosaur. The armor says Krizil or Bo-Katan would be lucky as, as it's a notable vision, assuming that she, you know, dreamt it or something. Bo-Katan tries to clarify that it was, it was real, but the armor says, uh, this is the way. When she leaves the forge, Bo-Katan stays behind, staring at the the Mythsar skull on the wall. I think the arm knows more than she lets on. Probably. Probably. Did she go back and kill the one that's there, or get proof that she's seen it? I don't know why she'd kill it. I just think there's more to that that dialogue. I think that was kind of a foreshadowing thing, like kind of an Easter egg, maybe. Yeah, I kind of uh, I agree. There's there's going to be more to that later on. I'm sure. Um, either we go back to uh, Mandalore and you know hunt this thing out and try to prove it's still there, kind of thing, or you know, it comes out. They they. Maybe they decide that they're gonna they're gonna settle back on Mandalore and and uh, rebuild it, and the thing comes out from there and uh, attacks them at some point. You know who knows? We don't know. So the question of the week that I came up with is: uh, Does Bo-Katan go look for the Mythosar back on Mandalore? And what we were just talking about. You guys think that's a possible thing? Mm-hmm. Very possible. I think so. But yeah, maybe Mando and get us back and just to look for it. 
I think there's more of a backstory that that's kind of building to you, but yeah, I think so too. I think, uh, um, maybe the, uh, the end of the story, let's say for, about the Mythosar thing is going to happen at the season finale of the show of this season. Or, or yeah, or it carries into another season. Could be too. Could be. You could know, see it again. Know. See it again at the end of the episode, and then uh, we're like, "What? What else? What's going on?" Uh -huh. But I also think Bo-Katan now is finally, you know, she she had the opposing view of this convert, and now she's kind of starting to see, you know, her uh, upbringing or whatever. Maybe it wasn't all of Mandalore that she thought it was. Yeah. Maybe she likes the, uh, you know, the uh, the old-fashioned style of, of the way they kind of believe things, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so feedback, we've got that email address. Uh, we would love to hear your feedback on the question of the week we just discussed. Um, both that uh, question of the week and there's a feedback form link on the left-hand side of the website. Uh, or wrong side, it's over there somewhere. Um, and we're also on Twitter at, at super underscore duper underscore pod. Um, send us a message there, talk back to us, whatever. Um, and we also have comments section on our videos that are on YouTube and Spotify. So you can go to our website, website and find those locations too. So send us all your feedback. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you don't think. Tell us if, uh, you know, Rick's shirt's too green, whatever you got to do, give us some feedback. You're just great. <laughs> We're just jealous. That's all it is. We're yeah. jealous. We're jealous. Oh, Scott you don't? Scott's trying to tell us he's got underwear on or under armor. Underwear. <laughs> all right. So any anything else you guys want to say about this episode? Hanes with the pouch. Okay. Tidy whities No. It was short but mighty. There was a lot that happened. This was like a holy crap episode. Yeah, it was. It was pretty action packed. It was definitely more action in this one than um, the Bad Batch. I thought, even though the Bad Batch was pretty eventful too. This this had a lot in it. The uh, the dragon slaying thing going on there, all that stuff was uh, just one thing after another. And like we kind of said at the beginning, there was only two acts. So, you know, the story didn't really jump around a lot. Well, we, we stayed we stayed in the same area at the same time quite a bit. We learned a lot about Grogu's background a little bit. Yeah, that, which was cool. Which, like you said, it fills some holes. I mean, there's still, there's still some hole there that needs to be filled in, but this gave us like a lot of insight. Yeah. I still have the big question is uh, where did Grogu come from to begin with? Um, you know, 
was he part of uh, the clone program of the, Re the Republic had before they uh, won the war? I don't know. I just I because we we do know of two other um, Yoda type of uh, creatures, you know, yeah. obviously Yoda, and then um, the uh, female one that we saw uh, in an episode previous. That was a was that a bad batch? Yeah, that was the that was in the uh, um, that series, Scott, that they had all the Jedi stuff, the young Jedi, maybe, and it had Count Dooku in uh, that one. Uh, yeah. Uh, female uh, Yoda character that got killed. Yeah. Well, uh, well yeah, some, some importance because that's how the whole series started out. Is they wanted him back. Exactly, and he is yeah, important. Exactly. And you have to realize if he actually is a Yoda, um, you know, type of animal, or whatever you want to call him, being, um, Yoda is one of the strongest force users that we know of, right? Um, partly because he's been around for 600 years, but he's also very good at it. <laughs> you know, can use, do anything. We, we see he can do anything Palpatine can do. I can do anything yep. that you can do. Yes, but I, I can. can do it better. Yes, I can. Uh, Everything is awesome. Yeah, so I think that's part of it is, is he's got, you know, and maybe if he truly is a clone of some sort, maybe um, in part of the cloning thing, they were able to up the metachlorian you know, content so he's actually has more midichlorium in him than anybody else I guess besides Anakin because Anakin is supposed to be pure midichlorium too because um, uh, Anakin was supposedly created by Palpatine or maybe we find out that Yoda actually was a clone and then he had a child that was a clone oh. but who was his girlfriend well the other Yoda character yeah, I don't. I don't know. Maybe we she never saw. Him. Maybe she wasn't a clone, and Yoda was, or maybe Yoda wasn't, and she was, and then they have to and Grogu. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say because Yoda was six hundred years old, so that's a long time for him to be cloned. And then we don't know anything about cloning until you know the Clone Wars. After that, clone. And then he got cloned again, and he just kept reliving over and over again. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you say so. Anything's possible. It's true, because it's science fiction. That's right. Uh, anything's possible in the Star Wars universe. It's on the internet, so it could be true. I guess Scott uh, got fell back asleep or something. He's not interested in this. Uh, George Washington... So. George Washington commented on it, so it's got to be true. I saw it on the internet. Exactly. He and Grogu hung out at Valley Forge. Exactly. <laughs> You're silly. All right, so uh, that's pretty much our show. Let's go ahead and wrap it up and get out of here. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Alliance Briefing Room Podcast. Please visit our website where you can play current and past episodes. That's https colon backslash backslash 
R-A-B-R-Kyle-Johansson.us. That's R-A-B-R dot K-A-I-L-E-J-O-H-A-N-S-E-N dot U-S. On the left-hand side is a navigation menu. You can use this to learn how to load the Rebel Alliance Briefing Room podcast on your Android or Apple phone and tablet. And we have direct links to our podcast on Apple and Google Podcasts. Please participate by connecting to our social media, answering questions of the week, or submitting feedback directly from the site. Again, all of these are available at the Rebel Alliance Briefing Room website at R-A-B-R-K-A-I-L-E-J-O-H-A-N-S-E-N dot U-S. This podcast in no way is approved, sponsored, or owned by Lucasfilms LTD, Disney, Disney Plus, or any of its subsidiaries. All opinions are solely owned by Kyle and or Scott, and in no way express the views or opinions of their past or present employers. Views and opinions are not supported or restricted by Lucasfilms, LTD, Disney, Disney Plus, or any of its subsidiaries. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or any or other use of this podcast and its affiliate sites without consent of Super Duper Podcast Network and its host is prohibited. I am Kyle Jordan Hansen, and this is Andrew Scott Sutton. Say goodbye now. Scott left. He, uh, his phone died or something. Who knows what? I don't know. Um, but there's Rick. He waved at you. He's got the red hat on and he's out in Canada. Um, so that's the end of our show. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.